Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers to humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and Ron Martin is out of town this week, so I'm here in the studio with Joseph Fidel. Joseph, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I go to Fort Lewis College, and I am a junior. I'm an environmental and organismal biology major, and I'm minoring in philosophy. That's awesome. And I know that you really enjoy apologetics and discussing things like truth, so that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about today, and I wanted to ask you some questions and see what you think. So first of all, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He also said about himself, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. That's very different from what you'll hear around town. So Joseph, what do you think about statements like, all religions are true, you can only know truth through experience, I don't think we should push specific values on anyone, or who's to say. Those are some comments that you might hear on an average day or on an average week walking around town. What do you think about those comments, Joseph? Well, Nate, I think that those comments have quite a lot of misconception behind them. The statement that everything is relative, well, that statement on its own defeats itself. That's what we call an autophagic statement. As soon as it's said, it defeats itself through contradiction. Because if everything is relative, then that statement right there is relative. In the second statement, there is no truth. By asserting that statement, one is actually saying that there is truth by claiming this statement is true. So again, it defeats itself as soon as it is said. And there are no absolutes. And well, if that was true, then that statement wouldn't matter because it wouldn't count towards everything. There is no absolutes and that statement wouldn't be absolutely true. And there is no right or wrong. You know, again, we could just apply that to itself, and is that right? And again, we could see that either it is, and then then obviously there is a right or wrong. The statement that no one can come to know any truth about religion is claiming to know a truth about a religion. And so, again, it eats itself up. Science is the only method finding truth. Well, that statement can't have science applied to it. The scientific method cannot be applied to a statement like that. So therefore, it isn't the only method defining truth. And to say that you can't know anything for sure, well, saying that states that you know something for sure. Also, to say that talking about God is meaningless. If that is true, then isn't that statement meaningless? Why even say it? Also, Nate, the statement that all religions are true. Now, this is one of the biggest fallacies that you will hear. To say that all religions are true is a complete contradiction. You know, if we, we take Christianity, for example, and we take Buddhism, for example, they're two conflicting world beliefs. And Christianity claims that it is the only true religion. It, it claims that it is the only way to God. And Buddhism claims that you yourself are the way to God. How can two things that claim opposite truths be true? So again, we see that we can't have two conflicting truths. Two plus two can't equal four and six at the same time. And now, you know, I've had a lot of people say, I don't think we should push specific values on anyone. But I just like to turn to that person and say, well, aren't you pushing that value on me? To say, who's to say? You hear this a lot. You know, that question, it doesn't have any relevance because it doesn't matter who I am. A truth is a truth. It doesn't matter, you know, if I'm a mathematician or not. If I know the correct answer to a question, then it is true regardless of who I am. That's really good, Joseph. People might say something like, 
How dare you say that Christianity is the only way because can't we just believe whatever we want to believe or whatever we feel like believing? And I've often asked people that ask that question, would that work in a math class? And they always laugh and say no, that wouldn't work in a math class because they know that if they put the wrong answer down, it's going to be a wrong answer. It won't be right. It isn't the case that anybody's opinion about math works. It's the same in chemistry. Both you and I have taken chemistry classes, and and we've both taken physics and biology and math and calculus and a lot of different classes. And in all those classes, Joseph, if you put down a wrong answer, you got it wrong. And I think it's funny how people would then flip to the spiritual reality of the universe and think that anything goes. So I like how you handled those statements and showed that they are autophagic or they eat themselves up, that they are meaningless statements. With that being said, though, how can you know for certain whether something is true or not? I guess you could say, how can you know anything with certainty? Well, Nate, uh, I'd like to start out first by saying that truth does, in fact, exist. And we can know this truth beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, there's different ways of finding this truth. Um, you know, as a scientist, one of the ways that we can find truth is using the scientific method to find certain things out. And then also logic and reason, uh, using deductions and comparing the odds uh, against each other. And then once you've weighed two sides of a, an option, you know, which one is more likely to be true? And we call this Occam's razor. Which is more likely to be true? Now the thing is, is that we can't know anything with complete certainty. We only have our five senses. And so, you know, if you take uh, the way bats see the world through sonar, you know, we can't know what it's like to be a bat because we don't have those sense organs. And so there are certain things that we just can't know. I see a lot of people making claims about the supernatural world, which is outside of our senses. And they say, well, because we can't observe this, then it's just not true. As Christians, you know, we believe that there is this supernatural world, and we realize that there is no sort of way to to get to that and access that through our own means. And so the only way for us to know about that world would be through revelation, would be if, uh, in this instance, God showed himself to us from that supernatural world. My degree was in chemistry. I love science, but science only goes so far. By definition, can only make statements about the natural world and not the supernatural world. So that's really an awesome point that you make, Joseph. So as far as divine revelation, if we were to analyze something that was supposedly divine revelation telling us truth about the spiritual universe, what different criteria would affirm something as being divinely revealed? Well, the first thing... Does it contradict itself? We must know if it's actually accurate. And so historians have many different ways of, of analyzing texts and documents, and, and the scriptures fall under the same thing, um, whether or not they are historically accurate. And then also prophecy is another really good way to see you know, if prophecy came true. Another thing is just to see if it's you know, logically coherent, if, again, it uh, stands up to the test of logic. Why the Bible? I just finished reading the Quran last week, and I'm not going to go into that now. We'll save that for another show. But what would set the Bible apart from another holy book like the Quran or like the Book of Mormon or some other religious book or text or even just a spiritual way of life that a lot of people might espouse to? What makes the Bible unique, and how can we know with certainty that the Bible is the divinely revealed Word of God? Joseph, how do we know that the Bible meets those criteria for divine revelation? Well, Nate, the Bible is actually one of 
the most reliable pieces of historical documents that we actually have. Um, and one of the things, like I mentioned earlier, that historians use to, to judge this and, and to see if it actually is uh, what, what it's claimed to be, to see if it actually is accurate. Um, and some of these things are, is there early eyewitness accounts? Um, how early are there? Uh, is there places, people, and events that can be historically confirmed outside of the context of that one document? And, you know, most people might be surprised to know this and to find this out, but the Bible actually meets these criteria very well. In fact, better than any other document ever written. Um, there is more early eyewitness accounts in the Bible than anywhere else. In fact, the earliest manuscripts that we have of the New Testament are written between 25 and 60 years after Jesus died. And this is remarkably early. And again, those are just manuscripts, and so they're just copies. Um, so the earlier we know was actually written uh, you know, within 15 to 20 years after Jesus' death. And one of the ways that we know this, um, a really good example of this, is in the book of Acts. Now, historians have confirmed um, that Luke is, in fact, the writer of the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, um, the main subject is Paul. And Luke follows him around and just kind of you know, records the history about it. We know from history outside of the Bible that Paul died in the early 60s AD. And we also know from outside history that Jerusalem fell in 70 AD. And while Luke is following around Paul and James, there is no mention of either of them dying. And actually, it ends with Paul in jail awaiting to go to trial. And James is, is out starting the new church in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is still standing and thriving as a city, and the temple is still there. So, you know, the way I like to look at it is, imagine if someone was doing a biography of Martin Luther King, and they ended that book with Martin Luther King still alive. Now, I would say, and I think that most people would say, that is, it is fair to claim that that book was written before Martin Luther King died, because if he was the main subject then I'm sure that his death would be included in the end of it. In fact, in the book of Acts, there are over 84 confirmed historical events that happened, people that lived, places, events that actually occurred. And, and we can go back through history, and all of these can be confirmed through other documents, through archaeology, and in fact, many of them have been confirmed through archaeology. Another one that I mentioned was prophecy. Now, you know, some people might think that this isn't, quite a strong aspect to lean on, but in fact, when you look at it, Jesus Christ himself fulfilled over 300 individual prophecies. Now, the statistics of this are astronomical. The odds of just eight of those happening in one person is one in 10 to the 17th. Now, that's a huge number, and, you know, that's only eight. Now, when we account in all 300 of these prophecies, prophecies happening in Jesus, then, you know, that's just astronomical, and in fact, it's statistically impossible. Um, and then it, again, if we look at Jesus' crucifixion, it was prophesied in the book of Psalms. Uh, it was written a thousand years before crucifixion was even invented. And another one which I think is really amazing is that the Bible in the book of Isaiah prophesies about the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the, and the temple by Cyrus. Now this was prophesied a hundred years before Cyrus was even born, and it names him by name. And it was also written 100 years before Nebuchadnezzar even destru destroyed Jerusalem. So, I mean, if you think about that, that's a truly amazing prophecy. And then if we look again, I mentioned the last thing was uh, just logic. Like, does it stand up logically to the test of time? And, uh, you know, it does. It doesn't make any outlandish claims. 
And in fact, there's a lot of science in the Bible. Um, it talks about um, rain cycles, you know, evaporation and going down, uh, you know, being rained out. And, you know, that happened hundreds of years before they even discovered that. And it talks about also in the New Testament about, about radiation and radioactive decay. And all these things are quite amazing when you actually truly look at it. Yeah, the science in the Bible is really phenomenal. I enjoy it, and I kind of wanted to just let you guys know a little bit about some of the science that's in the Bible. Like you said, 2 Peter 3.10 discusses radioactive decay, and it discusses that thousands of years before we found it in modern history, to be exact, about 1,900 years earlier. The Bible talks about hydrologic cycles, atmospheric jet streams, clouds and condensation, the Earth's spherical shape and circuit. They're both mentioned in Isaiah. The expansion of the universe is mentioned multiple times in the Bible. That's phenomenal. That wasn't even discovered until this past century. Earth's foundation being hung on nothing. The fact that air has weight. Hydrothermic vents in the ocean. The biological law that like begets like. The reality that one event could be seen across the world was both a scientific claim but a prophetic claim, like you are mentioning earlier, and that would be one that was fulfilled through television. And my favorite is the second law of thermodynamics, the reality that everything in this universe is winding down. We talked about that last week in our discussion of the problem of pain. All those are discussed in detail in the Bible, giving me confidence that, that this was divinely inspired with scientifically valid claims thousands of years before science caught up. It's amazing. If you're just now tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR 91.9 FM and 93.9 FM here in Durango, Colorado, or you can listen online at KDUR.org. So again, you're listening to The God Solution. Joseph, I think you've done a good job of establishing the fact that the Bible is divinely revealed from God. At least there's strong evidence to believe that. And by the way, Joseph, how did you get to be so smart? You're still a college student. Don't you need like a PhD or something like that? Oh, no, Nate. You know, I think uh, that all this information is out there, actually. Uh, you know, it can be found. It's readily available. There are plenty of good books out there. Two of my favorite books are I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. Um, and another one uh, that's more geared towards philosophy, but I thought it was very well, well written and uh, it was a beautiful piece of work. And it's called What's So Great About Christianity by Dinesh D'Souza. And both of those I'd highly recommend for anybody to read. We've been talking a lot about some evidences for believing the truth of the Bible, the truth of God's Word, as being the divinely revealed Word of God, and being able to know that with confidence. And so, Joseph, I guess like anything else that you can know with a high degree of certainty, whether it be a mathematical equation or a chemical reaction, we could be confident about sharing God's Word with that same certainty. And from there, I wanted to ask you, what does the Bible say? What are those main truths in God's Word that we could share with confidence? What's the real meaning? Because it's a big book, and a lot of people maybe have read it for years, or maybe they haven't. And either way, how would you kind of summarize the Bible in just a few statements? Well, Nate, um, you know, I think the main message of the Bible is that God does, in fact, love us. Um, and it says in John 10.10 10, that Jesus, he said... I came that they might have life and may have it abundantly. And so, you know, Jesus came so that we may have the fullest life possible and that it may be meaningful. And so, you know, I think that's the most important thing uh, is to know that God does love you. And in fact, it says uh, in John three sixteen that God loves us so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but in fact have eternal life. Keeping in mind that God does love us, 
we must realize that man is sinful. We have a sinful nature, and this sin separates us from God. You, know, you can deduce from logic, again, that God, he would be uh, a perfect being, that he would be absolute perfection, in fact, the standard of perfection. And us, as sinful people, and not meeting God's standard, it follows logically that we could not be in the presence of God. And so, and that is actually the second, one of the second messages of the Bible. It says that man is sinful. And in fact, it says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, God created us to have fellowship with him. He created us to know him and have an intimate relationship with him. But because of our selfish, sinful desires, we have come to be in separation with God. So in fact, I'd say the third principle, which is probably the most exciting uh, news that I've ever heard in my entire life is that Jesus Christ was our provision to connect us back to God. And in fact, that goes back to John 3.16, where I'd said that God sent Jesus for the whole world so that we may know him and have eternal life. And it says again in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrated his own love for us in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there's a lot of ways that, uh, you know, people try to reconnect themselves back to God. You know, uh, we all try to do good deeds. You know, we try to give money away and, you know, we, we try to find our own way to God. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Those are all really good things. And, and I think that we should continue to love each other and do all we can to, to help our brothers and sisters. But, in fact, we can never count those things to connect us back to God. They, they just aren't adequate enough. And so that is what Jesus did, is when he came down, he bridged that gap for us to, us to God. And, you know, we just have to acknowledge that and accept that. Um, and, and, in fact, that takes me to uh, the fourth principle, um, which, which is really good news also. And uh, it says that we must receive Christ as our personal Savior. And, you know, the way that I see this is it's kind of like a gift. You know, on my birthday, say if Nate here... Um, you know, if you gave me uh, a book for my birthday, which uh, you have given me many books, and, you know, you got this book for me, and, you, and you're giving it to me, but it's not mine until I actually take it. And so that's the next thing that we must consider is that we must personally accept this gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, which he is freely offering to all those who ask. Jesus summarized the gospel in his own words this way. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Streams of living water will flow from within him. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. All who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the darkness. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise. Anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If any of you wants to be my follower... You must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross, and follow me. How do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? Sin is unbelief in me. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. 
Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal as friends. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Be sure of this, I am with you always, I will never fail you, I will never forsake you. It's pretty powerful. So Joseph, I wanted to ask you as we close, what's your story? Do you just believe this because you've always been a Christian and you were raised knowing that this was the truth? Or did you, what is your story? Well, Nate, I came to this conclusion uh, over a lot of a lot of thinking. It took me a lot a lot to get here. It took me a long time. You know, I didn't uh, you know grow up in a super Christian house. Um, you know, I, I don't. I'm not a Christian because it's what my parents forced upon me. In fact, I did actually grow up going to church, but it wasn't a really big family thing. You know, it wasn't like we went all the time. And in fact, it was more of just kind of something we did for tradition, Christmas and Easter. You know, and that was about it. And, you know, it wasn't a big part of my life. And as such, as I started uh, getting older and, and started going to college, I uh, started learning a lot about biology and science, I came to the conclusion that, you know, I believe that God didn't actually exist. Um, and I lived my life as such. You know, I, I figured that because I was just an animal and that everything didn't really matter because when I died, I was the end of it, then, uh, you know, I tried to find happiness in my surroundings try to find my surroundings in uh, activities and people, places, things. And, you know, none of those actually did bring me any contentment or joy. You know, I, I tried finding happiness in knowledge. You know, I'm not condemning knowledge. I love to think and I love to learn and read, but it wasn't where my ultimate happiness lie. You know, I tried the party scene for a while, um, actually probably more than a while. You know, I lived that lifestyle for quite a long time. And it was very superficial happiness. In fact, even if it was happiness, you know, it never provided for me what I wanted. Uh, and I always found myself looking for more. You know, I, I tried looking towards girls, and they didn't really do much for me except give me a lot of headaches and heartaches. And so, <laughs> so you know, I, I found that that wasn't the way either. So, you know, I just kind of came to the conclusion of, well, this is it. You know, i got to live with where I'm at and be happy with it because this is all that my life is ever going to be. Um, so, you know, I just decided that I was just going to continue on with my education and, and see where my life took me. Um, and in the process of this journey, um, I actually met a very wonderful girl named Darcy, and she's now my fiance. We're getting married this summer. When we met, I was uh, very much an atheist. And in fact, I didn't believe in God at all. I believed uh, in the universe, and I believed in evolution, and that was about the extent of it. And Darcy was a Christian, and... She showed me love that I've never seen before. She showed me what true compassion is like, true forgiveness. And I saw in her a true happiness that I've never seen in anyone else before. I mean, around this time, uh, for some reason, and now that I look back upon it, you know, I could tell that it was God working on my heart. But out of nowhere, I just got this desire to find more out about God. You know, I never really read the Bible, and I was making all sorts of claims the Bible is false, you know, it's got all sorts of contradictions in it, but I never actually read it. 
So I decided, you know, maybe I should read this book that I'm so uh, – Maybe I should read this book that I'm so against. And so I asked Darcy to buy me a Bible one day. And as I was reading through it, I was just amazed and blown away with all the wisdom and knowledge that can be found in this book. And, uh, you know, it was just truly amazing. And, you know, I, I didn't immediately come to the conclusion that God existed. You know, I just thought that a really, I just thought that a bunch of really smart people had come together and wrote in this really good book. You know, but I still kept an open mind. And I think that that's probably the most important thing that I did was to keep an open mind. And so uh, one day, you know, I remember I was, I was sitting there and I was watching this sermon online. And uh, I asked God uh, if he was real to reveal himself to me. You know, because I'm not one to disbelieve in anything. I can't just go around and, and believe in things that I don't know and that I can't see. Uh, and that night, God did reveal himself to me. God spoke to me, and I heard him say that he is, in fact, real. And, and he showed me that, you know, I've known this all along, and I was just, you know, I was just refusing to accept it. Um, and so I came to the conclusion uh, that God was, in fact, real. But I wasn't sure about Jesus being the Son of God because you know, I, I still was pretty new in reading the Bible. But I knew that there was something more out there, a lot more to be offered. So as soon as I started Fort Lewis College, I found the camp, on-campus ministry. It's called Master Plan Ministries, and the Tuesday night meetings that we have is called Connect. And so I decided, you know, either I was going to get back in with my partying friends, or I was going to, you know, take on a new life and, and see where it led me. So I decided to give the later a try. Um, and I showed up, and everyone is really welcoming. In fact, I'd, I'd never been around so many people who were so genuinely nice and caring, and I just felt really welcome. And so I started meeting up with uh, one of the leaders, uh, actually Nate here. Uh, we started talking, and we just started going over all of these things that I thought to be true, like contradictions in the Bible and so many translations that it couldn't be known. And, uh, you know, I, I just began to see all these myths being dispelled. And, uh, you know, just logically thinking about it, I came to the conclusion that Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was. And this was this was astonishing to me, you know. I I couldn't believe it, um, and you know I wasn't right away ready to uh, accept Jesus as my savior. I had to give this some thinking. So I went home, and I remember lying on my bed that night, and uh, I was just going over everything we had th talked about that day, and you know, I was thinking about it really hard, and you know I just came to the conclusion that Jesus was God, and He did die for my sins. He died for my salvation, so that I might know God, and so that we may so that I may be with him uh, for eternity. And that night, Nate, I actually gave my life to Christ. I trusted him for the forgiveness of my sins. Um, and so, you know, I just prayed, uh, you know, it pretty much went like this. I said, Jesus, you know, I, I believe that you are who you say you are. Um, and I acknowledge that you died for my sins. And I thank you for doing that. And Lord, please just come into my life. You know, I'm not sure what it's like to be a Christian, but I trust that that you will show me, that you will guide me along that. And, you know, I just ask Christ to be my Savior. Um, and, and that's pretty much what happened, Lord. Uh, it's pretty much what happened, Nate. And it's been a growing uh, experience ever since. Um, I've read a lot of books. Uh, I've read a lot of the Bible. Um, and, you know, I just continue to learn and uh, continue to look at things with an open mind and always try to base things in logic. Wow. Thanks so much for sharing with us. Such an exciting story. If you'd like to leave us a comment or if you have questions you'd like us to discuss in the coming weeks here on The God Solution, 
Check out eternityimpact.blogspot.com. Again, that's eternityimpact.blogspot.com. And let us know what's on your mind. If you're a student listening to, into this show, please join us for Connect, that, the meeting that Joseph talked about. It'll be happening every Tuesday for the rest of the semester at 7.30 p.m. in the Student Life Center. Joseph actually talked last week at our Connect meeting. He did a great job, by the way. And this week at Connect, Jake will be talking. Jake is going to be talking about what role the truth should play in our lives and how we should be ready to share that with the people around us. It should be a great time, and I can't wait to hear what Jake Boyd has to say. Again, Connect this week will be in the Student Life Center, room 119, at 7.30 p.m. on Tuesday. I really hope to see you there. And if you're listening in this morning and you want to give a local church a try, regardless of where you're coming from, I know a great church for you to visit and one that's not going to judge you, but they're going to accept you no matter where you're at, is First Baptist. And you can find First Baptist at the corner of 3rd and 11th. They'll have two services, one at 9.15 a.m. and the second one at 10.45 a.m. I'll be there, coincidentally, this Sunday, and so I'd love to see you. And with that, thanks for tuning into The God Solution on KDUR, and we hope you'll listen again next week. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Joseph Fidel. Have a great Sunday.